We're reading from Psalm 91. Whoever, <clears throat> whoever dwells, dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With him, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So we're looking at the three most popular psalms as far as Google searches go at the moment. And while I haven't verified this hunch, I suspect that Psalm 91 has taken second place because of COVID. After all, it has those lines about plagues and pestilence. And I know that it offered a lot of comfort to people in the initial days when we didn't know just how this thing might turn out. And it makes sense because this psalm most likely was written for those in war, dealing with enemies, yes, but also, of course, the diseases that would ravage along the battle lines. And whether it's wars or pandemics, as we have seen, the language of encouragement so often ends up being the same, doesn't it? In England during World War II, that well-known phrase was coined and plastered all over the country, Keep calm and carry on. Keep it together. Persevere. Don't give up. And we saw this make a a revival just in these last couple of years, didn't we? It's widely applicable. And see, Psalm 91 offers a similar but much deeper encouragement. It's an encouragement from God himself and about God and who He is, an encouragement that we also need to offer each other and others in our worlds, because there is so much need for encouragement today, isn't there? The psalm, it it talks about enemies and war, about diseases and wild animals, about death itself. 
In Romans 8, when Paul is talking about what cannot separate us from the love of Christ, he mentions pretty similar things. He talks about trouble, about hardship, about persecution, about famine, about nakedness, about danger or sword, war. The loss of of comfort, the loss of security, the loss of reputation, the loss of, of food or clothing or homes, the loss of peace. Last week, Jeff talked about the growing threat of war in our world. And sure, we can assume that it will never happen to us, or we can distract ourselves with the imminent things around us, but the reality is it's there. The threat is there. We've just come out of a pandemic. Now, in the grand scheme, it was fairly mild, but for a short time, we wondered how bad could this get? See, anything at any time can break into our false sense of security and upend our world. Our earthly shelters or refuges or fortresses, whatever they may look like, they are generally paper thin. They're about as useful as hiding from a bombing raid under a cardboard box. There is a great need in our world for deeper encouragement, for the witness of Christians who, as we sung, have hope beyond death, who have a God who is sovereign over all circumstances, who are protected from all of those dangers that we most fear. Worldly stability, it is collapsing around us. It always will, that's the reality of it. The foundation that people think is so solid or thought was solid, it is cracking beneath their feet. And it is our calling to help. To be there, to pick up the pieces, to share God's healing and protection, to offer hope. May we never be the ones who stand there and point and say, I told you so. We told you so. We Christians, we knew what was coming. We told you so. May we never be that. May we only be the ones who stoop to help. Even to help those who may hate us or laugh at what we believe. So how can we encourage others? What does that look like? Well, the way to encourage is actually beautifully revealed in the structure of of this psalm. So the first two verses are marked by the pronoun I. You know, the writer is offering a personal testimony of his faith, that he dwells in the shelter of the Lord and finds rest in his shadow, that he trusts in the Lord as his refuge and his fortress. I will say it, he says. And all these words, as we read earlier, they are so commonly used in the Psalms to describe God, a refuge, a shelter, a fortress, a stronghold. Psalm 46 might jump really quickly to mind. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And we'll sing that later on. God is our protection. God is our security. God is our safety. We are safe in Him no matter what troubles surround us. That's our testimony. 
And then in verses 3 to 13, it's marked by the pronoun you. It's the psalmist's message to whoever is reading, directly to them. This is what God does or can do for you. This is what he can be. This is how he can help you. In grammatical terms, it's similar to what we call the subjunctive mood, which is all about expressing what can be or what we wish to be or what we want to see or, and even in the sense that we urge it. And the psalmist is urging his readers to trust that this is possible, to trust, to believe that God can cover you with his wings, that he can deliver you from any troubles, that he can save you, that he can lift you up, exalt you, pull you out of whatever mess you're in. Believe that, find hope in that, persevere in it. And then finally, verses 14 to 16 are also marked by I, but this time it's the divine pronoun. It's God himself speaking directly to us, making promises to us, direct encouragement from his mouth. And what does he say there? I will, I will rescue him and protect him and answer him and be with him, and deliver him, and honor him, and satisfy him, and save him. All those verbs are there. Aren't these wonderful, incredible words to hear from the mouth of God? This is what he promises to do. All of it. And so even the structure of this psalm gives us so much encouragement. The personal testimony of the psalmist, the the words of hope for us and the promises of God himself. And so when we encourage other people, we would do so well to include these three elements. Share your personal testimony. That doesn't mean, you know, traditionally, typically, you know, you've got to share your story from start to finish. Just share how God is your refuge and fortress, how he protects you. One sentence is all it takes. God is my salvation. God is my rock. Without him, I'd be lost. I'd be a mess. There it is. Then make the goodness and the help of God personal for the person that you are encouraging. God can do this for you. All of this. This is not just for you know, Christians, this is not just for people who have it all together. This is not just for spiritual types. This is for anyone. This is for you. You can have this hope. You can have this comfort. Guaranteed. And then share the words of God himself. Know and use scripture to encourage people. It shows that it's not just subjective stuff. You're not making it up. This is God's objective truth, His promises, straight out of His Word. If we encourage people in these ways, both Christians and non-Christians alike, then it will be a wonderful witness. And the Spirit will work through it, as He does through the psalmist. 
But let's give some more thought to the substance of our encouragement. Uh, I'll admit that there has been times I've been reluctant to use this psalm uh, when visiting someone or when people are struggling. It's a, it's a classic to use, but I've been reluctant at times because I've worried that it sounds like God doesn't let us go through any hardships. That He'll keep us from all of it. Christians won't get diseases. Christians, they won't be killed in war. Christians won't stumble in their faith. Christians won't die young. But it's not true, is it? And that's not what the psalm is saying. For example, in verse 15, God says he will be with us in trouble. That is, we will find ourselves in times of trouble. We will. But God will be with us in it. We are protected in hardship, not from hardship. We are protected in the valley of the shadow of death, not from the valley of the shadow of death. We are protected in disease or war or persecution, not from disease or war or persecution. Hardship, it is inevitable, it is inescapable. And the Bible tells us that God uses it for our good, for the growth of our faith and of our character. But here's another thing. Verses 7 and 8 show us this, this contrast with those outside of God's protection. Thousands and tens of thousands may die around you. Now again, you've got that picture of war, but it goes bigger than that. And he says, you will see their punishment only with your eyes. You'll observe. But this won't come near you. Now again, that doesn't mean Christians won't die. It doesn't mean Christians, you know, won't be killed by war or by disease. But it does mean that those things will never come as the punishment of God. They will come as a result of a broken world. But they will never come as a divine act of judgment. For those who believe God's punishment and His wrath, it is completely expended on His own Son, Jesus Christ. God does not penalize His children. He disciplines, He develops them, but He does not punish us. He does not punish us. And then because of Jesus, there's life beyond death. So you've got that line at the end of the psalm, I will satisfy you with a long life. But that has to be qualified in two ways. Firstly, the word can also denote a full life. A life that is meaningful and significant. A life that is well lived, you might say. See, there are plenty of people out there who live a long life, but are ultimately empty and unfulfilled. They're unsatisfied. And there are those who die relatively young, but they die fulfilled. Completely. Quality is so much more important than quantity when it comes to our years. But then secondly, the length of life, it points to eternal life. 
Because the next word there, or, or just about, is salvation. The ultimate long life is forever life. You know, and hence, in our world, there's that sort of never-ending human search for the metaphorical fountain of youth. Everybody wants it. Nobody can find it. Because nothing satisfies like eternity does. Even if you live 100 years, and even if you have, you know, family and children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and all that stuff that people say is fulfillment. We can still come to the end and feel incomplete. Because we were made for more. We were made for infinite years. For eternal years. And then when you bring these things together, you see that eternal life with God is the only true satisfaction. Eternity, but without God, is meaningless. If you were given that, you would find yourself very bored very quickly. And even temporary life with God, it's a contradiction. It doesn't make sense. Because God is eternal. He's made us to be eternal. It can't just end. That's unsatisfactory. So it has to be eternity and it has to be with God. That is fulfillment. And see, this is what the devil failed to understand when he quoted this psalm, uh, particularly verse 11, to Jesus when he dares Jesus to throw himself off the temple and he'll be caught by angels and he won't hurt himself, he missed the point. God's protection here in this psalm, it's not about, you know, you're in a big giant bubble and you can test God by jumping off cliffs or you can ignore what it means to have good health or you can be careless with your life. Now his protection is so we can serve him without fear. It's not so we can be selfish. It's so we can be selfless. And of course, Jesus displayed that perfectly, didn't he? There's a story of a a Christian nobleman in England who lived during a plague outbreak in the 15th century. And he had planned, uh, when things were getting bad, he had planned, like all the other noble men and women to leave London and and head for his country home. But he overheard one of his servants coming to the conclusion that, well, I guess God must also be leaving the city and heading for the country too, because that's what my master's doing. And it struck him and it challenged him. And he knows that God is everywhere, that God's protection is everywhere. And so he decided to stay in London and to help the victims of the plague. And it turns out he himself did not get infected by it. Uh, ironically, the name of this nobleman was Lord Craven. I thought that was, that was funny. Turns out he wasn't a Craven, he almost, but he's a brave man. But the thing is, he could have been infected and still protected by God. He could have died while under God's protection. What matters is not whether he got the plague or not, it's that God's protection spurred him to serve others fearlessly instead of serve himself fearfully. And I wonder 
for myself, for you, which way are we living? Are we serving God and others fearlessly? Or are we serving ourselves fearfully? We could have asked that question during the pandemic. We can ask it in future when other things arise. We can ask it right now. Am I serving others fearlessly or myself fearfully? And see, there are actually a lot of times when God does protect us from death and disease in this life. We cannot focus only on the eternal nature of God's security. Because the Bible is full of stories about physical healing, about deliverance from death, about miracles, even resurrection from the dead. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The the resurrection power of Jesus, it, it gives us eternal life, spiritual life, but it also gives us physical life. That is how we persevere in this life. We cannot forget that, but we also cannot focus only on the physical and the temporary side. We cannot ignore the eternal because one way or the other, death and disease will come. Old age is just a disease of its own. There's only two men who have ever gone to God without dying. So the odds are not in our favour. Although Jesus may come back. But if you trust in the Lord, you will not fear the night. You will not fear the night. Angels will guard you and lift you up. And harm will not overtake you. It will not get the better of you. It will not have the last say. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, yes, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Never destroyed. And this brings me to the last point this morning, which is the response to encouragement. Because there's a few points in this psalm which add basically a condition to all of these wonderful promises. And that condition is trust. It's faith. Verse 1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will dot, dot, dot. Verse 9, if you say the Lord is my refuge and if you make the Most High your dwelling, then dot, dot, dot. Verse 14, because he loves me, God says, because he loves me. 
And just a bit later, for he acknowledges my name. And then verse 15, he will call on me and I will answer him. If you have a state-of-the-art bomb shelter, best you can get. But on the day that the bombs start falling, you do not choose to dwell in it. You do not choose to make it on that day your shelter. It will not protect you. Will it? If you live two minutes away from the hospital and the ambulance depot, but on the day you fall and break both of your legs, you don't make the call and say, come and help me, you won't be helped, will you? And if there is a sovereign God who rules over the entire universe and extends his hand of grace to all people, all people, but you don't acknowledge him and you don't accept his hand, you will not be saved. And so if you are here today and you've never found refuge in God, can I urge you to do so? Consider our testimony. Like the psalmist, most of us here have found perfect security in God and in Christ. No matter how dire the circumstances get, we have hope. And we cannot imagine life without it. Consider our message to you. God's promises, his protection, his, self, his satisfaction, his salvation. It is for everyone who seeks it. Everyone and anyone. Full life, eternal life, deliverance from judgment, victory in Christ. And then consider God's word, his direct word to you. If you love me, I will rescue you. I will protect you for if you acknowledge my name. You can call on me and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. With long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. And if you're here this morning and you do find refuge in God, then continue to trust in Him. Continue to make Him your dwelling, your shelter. Each day, choose faith. Choose to enter His fortress. Choose his strength. And then share this wonderful encouragement with others. With each other here in the church, but with others outside as well. Be aware of the dangers out there, yes, but even more aware of the Most High God, who is above all things. Let me close this morning with the story of Jim Elliot. Many of you will know the story. In 1956, Jim Elliot, along with four other missionaries, went to bring the gospel to an unreached Native American tribe on the coast of Ecuador. And quite quickly they were killed, all five of them were killed by that tribe. And they were all in their 20s. 
And if ever there was a story to disprove the claims of Psalm 91, it was this story, wasn't it? They died young, killed by the enemy. But Jim's wife, Elizabeth, she went on to write a memoir of her husband's life and she entitled it Shadow of the Almighty after this psalm. She was adamant that Jim had died in the shadow of the Almighty. She was convinced that God's refuge was not from suffering or from bodily death, but from final and ultimate defeat, from destruction. Just as Jim himself wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray. Lord, your encouragement is so rich to us. The depth of your protection, the assurance that nothing can defeat us, the reality of eternity, it's everything, Lord. And yet this same encouragement challenges us because our calling is to live as if we're protected. To live without fear of destruction. To serve you and to serve others with fearlessness. And as we've confessed already, Lord, we do so easily serve ourselves with fear. Lord, change our hearts. Press these wonderful truths deep upon us. That we might go out from today. Live for you and live for the good of others so that we can encourage more and more can know your salvation, your satisfaction, your life.